Hey, Brandon. Hey, Chris. What if we just talked about cars this episode? Ooh. Uh, no. No? No. Why I, I, no. Why yes, no? and. Yes, and. Yes, and. There you go. Yeah. There um, you go. I, I, love, I love cars. I do listen, or I, not as much as I used to, but I do listen to another podcast that uh, is like a tech podcast that they talk about cars a lot. And I'm like, and they're all insufferable about it. But it's because they oh. don't love cars. They just kind of like are into cars a little bit. And I don't know. I don't know. What does that mean? Give what a, I don't know. Like they don't, for me. They, it, it's sort of like the reason that they're fun to listen to talk about tech stuff because they're like super into tech stuff. And they're kind of into car stuff. And they're like, oh, yeah, now let's talk about cars. And you're like, you're not bringing the same. You're not bringing the same energy, the same intensity. Oh, I the same see. passion. Do you feel comfortable naming this podcast? Yeah, I it's just called the Accidental Tech Podcast, and it, used, oh, it was a, it was a car podcast. podcast initially, I think. I um, I did not know that. But I wanted to tell you about my beverage choice this evening because it is a horrifyingly bad idea. So, people get after me for drinking like my trash juice or whatever uh, periodically. Mm-hmm. Tonight, mm-hmm. I'm doing two shots of espresso, so I'm doing a double shot americano. But mm-hmm. I was just not pull. I was not pulling it together today, and I'm like, no, I'm gonna pull it together. <laughs> Goddamn the consequences! Well, listeners of this podcast and also your friends will know that your your sleep issues have been a long and uh, persistent problem in your life and many other like <laughs> aspects yeah. of that. Yeah, I so felt, like double I felt espresso. Like, I just felt like hundreds of people simultaneously like have their gut just clench on my behalf. Like, oh yeah. no, yeah. <laughs> Brandon, that's the exact <laughs> opposite on, of man. what you're supposed to do. All right, maybe I'll stop. I'll stop halfway through. <laughs> that way, it's just one shot. I mean, you know, you know, you're you're living a different lifestyle these days. So. <sighs> I am. Uh, it's super chill. Can I tell you, I ditched work today to well i mean so i'm working part-time i am doing yeah. a little bit of contracting with some friends and it's a pretty fun little project uh and and in the first half of the day i'm like okay i did my workout and i'm like what if i just went to see the avengers movie i didn't it's been out for a month i haven't seen it what if i just did that and you know i did and it was amazing dude this thing that you're doing where you go see movies in the middle of the day that's a that's the, i'm gonna do that that's the life I'm, man i'm gonna be doing some of that very soon uh, I heartily endorse this. When I was in grad school, I was very poor. And also, I lived in an apartment with a broken air conditioner because I was very poor. And uh, there was this movie theater uh, up the street from where I lived that on Friday mornings, if you went to the first showing, would charge you $5. And every Friday for an entire year, I went to this movie theater. It did not matter if there was a movie I actually wanted to see or not. I like because it was far cooler than my apartment. It was the only thing I could afford to do for fun. In a grad school, all your classes are at night, so like I had nothing to do in the morning anyway. And so I would get up and go to see it. Whatever I would just like walk up when I knew all the movies started and just like pick a movie and buy a ticket and go in. And sometimes they were good movies, and sometimes I like sat on my phone in the middle of Transformers <laughs> Dark enjoying. of the Moon because I was the only person in the entire theater. Mm-hmm. But like, I still have very fond memories of that. Yeah, I, I, we were super broke when we first, my wife and I first got married too young. 
and uh, had no money. I was making like a $10 an hour doing uh, computer fixy stuff. And we bought the Netflix pass that was like $17 a month and you can rent unlimited movies. And we couldn't afford an antenna to put on our television. So, but somebody had given us like a busted old DVD player. So we rented a movie every night. We couldn't have cable. We couldn't, didn't get reception, but we watched a dang movie every night. It was beautiful. Man, sometimes, sometimes I kind of miss those kinds of restrictions. Like I also, I had, this was back when Blockbuster was a thing, but they had a similar like pay $15 a month and you can just like come in and out of Blockbuster as many times as you want and just take, you can take three movies at a time and you can just like come back two hours later if you want and swap it out for three more movies. And I like, I watched so many movies in, in that like time period Mm -hmm. and some of them were bad, but like I, I like educated myself. Like I love movies and I watched, like classic movies and weird movies and foreign movies and shitty movies, <laughs> but it was it was great. And then at one point, I just like this was, I had a computer that could I could like rip movies, and so the day that my like membership was gonna run out, I just like all day I drove back and forth to Blockbuster <laughs> three movies at a time and just ripped. I would take three movies, go home, rip them to my hard drive, drive back, take three more. <laughs> And I did it for like twelve hours, and uh, so your accounts were like, "We know what you're doing, and we don't care. <laughs> we don't care. We're going out of business." <laughs> and that's how you became film crit Hulk on Twitter. <laughs> Dude, don't don't put me on blast like that. <laughs> oh no, I wasn't supposed to tell. Uh, I want to hear. I want to hear about. I want to hear about cars. So the Supra came out this week. I'm air quoting Supra. Yeah, <laughs> the, the quote the Supra. Supra. Can we call it the Zupra? <laughs> the Zupra. The Zupra yeah. with an automatic. Zupra 4. With a torque converter automatic. Uh, As mm. the only option. Not even a dual clutch. Just a regular. Yeah. Do you remember, very do you remember in the Fast box. and the Furious when they're like, oh, I love this slush box. It's so slushy. The nope. ZF transmission in this thing is it's <laughs> almost as good as a dual clutch. Very close. Almost. I just love <laughs> rowing through the slushy gears. Mm. I love paying $50,000 for... To be fair, uh, it's a $50,000 BMW sports car. I mean, that's a pretty good deal. That's a pretty... You know, that's like a 20% off sale on BMW two-seaters. But it's a $50,000 Z4. It's not like it's an M3 or something. I mean, what is it? 325 horsepower? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it's like, you know, they're holding back. They're holding that on you. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. That's the blocks made out of aluminum. Mm. So, like, that was the that was the thing about the Supra was it had this two JZ engine that's made out of like cast iron, and you could tune the you shit could, out of you it. You could boost it to twenty eight psi. Yeah, you could. Yeah, it was insane. And and now, I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe it'll be great. Maybe it'll be this fantastic tuner car with a slush box transmission. Oh, you know what? I just realized <laughs> I've never revealed myself before to be a huge car nerd. Uh, oh, sorry, everybody. I'm a huge car nerd, but I'm pretty Same. I'm pretty closeted about it because like I eventually just like shut up and bought like a luxury, like a, a luxury compact sedan and just like, you know what? I'm not going to do shit to this thing. I'm just going to drive it and enjoy my life. You, sir, you have a car. You have a capital C car. I do. I do. I love it. It's mm. very good. Yeah. yeah, I have a Golf R. It is has a big ass turbo 
and it's all-wheel drive, and it's manual transmission, and I love it. Mm, I want one. Someday. <sighs> it's very good. It's very cool. How is it for taking kids to swim practice? That's the mm. that's the primary thing that I'm doing you know these what? days. You can just jam that puppy into comfort mode and... And scare the shit fine. out of your kids around the bends. <laughs> no, dude, it's just fine. Totally. <laughs> it's like... It's it is it's smoother over bumps than my GTI was, except I mean if it's in race mode, it's much much shittier over bumps. Mm-hmm. But in comfort mode, it's like nice and floaty in a good way. Uh, the steering's light and it's quiet on the inside. Like it goes to being this totally like docile, comfortable daily driver, and then you can like put it in race mode and everything tightens up and gets louder and goes faster and it's very good. Have you driven it up through the canyons? Yes. Mm. It was awesome. Mm. So here's a weird thing. This is kind of like what people say about the Supra. This is like some Carner shit, but that's okay. This is just, you know, everyone just has to live. Let it hang us. out. Let your freak you just flag have to live, fly. Like you have to live with us in our truth. Yeah. Which is if you Carner. can't deal with me at my torque and horsepower quoting. <laughs> <laughs> so an interesting thing about the Golf R that I, that irks me, it irks me. In theory, in practice, it has not been a problem. Is that the Golf R has an open differential, mm. not a limited slip differential? Despite like all of the like handling characteristics and everything else, it has an open differential, but it uses brake-based torque vectoring. Uh, so, in theory, that sounds like horseshit. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, like you you can understand how that sh- like theoretically That's works. Bush like, League, like an open like. Breaking to force power to the other wheel is a is a like legitimate physics hack. That's I was gonna say. That's basically like how I ship code. <laughs> like, oh shit! I didn't do this right, but I can still do it. Yeah. So they even they have a name for it. Even it's like cross di. I don't know. It's, it's called break cheating. Yeah, it's like XDF. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. It's some, some. They don't get to. They, yeah, they're they're wallpapering over the fact that they're like, oh, we forgot to figure out how to put yeah. a diff on this. So, which, which is crazy because we're gonna the GTI grab has the GTI now. Like mine had an LSD because it had the performance pack, and now a, an LSD is standard. But the R still has an open diff, and I'm I mean I think it's just a cost cutting. Like they were like, look, we, we really cannot charge anymore for this thing. <laughs> Nobody's gonna buy a fucking seventy thousand yeah, dollar golf. Exactly. Unless but you put an Audi badge handles, on it. I mean, it handle like it handles fucking amazingly. Like I can, I can like put this thing in like third gear and take like a wide, tight turn with like the yellow arrows at like easily sixty miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like this is totally fine i have no problems with this so i mean hey if that's what you can do with you know brake based torque factoring like by all means that's what they had in I, i'm pretty sure in my well in my wrx i think it was brake based torque vectoring uh in the yeah. sti i think it's like uh torsen diff or something like that anyway and i would take corners and i'm like gosh i forgot how much it feels like like an all-wheel drive sports car feels like a video game like it is yeah. like uh, training wheels for people, and that want to want to do stupid stuff in their car. I have I'm going to be forty th- this year. I am past the age where it's okay to do that, and before the age where it's okay to do that again. Like where there's like there's like an age gap between like okay, you've got kids that are like about to hit middle school. It's not okay to be like the the dirtbag like baseball hat wearing guy in a, in a WRX. But not yet old enough to be the dirtbag 
uh, wearing a polo in a uh, like a like mid two thousands nine eleven. Yeah, I I had a similar thought when I had my BRZ, and I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm already too old for this car. Like I can drive, like you know, I'll I'll drive a two wheel, a two door, rear wheel drive sports car all day long, but it probably needs to be nicer and faster than this one. <laughs> you're t- you're t- so you're too old for the BRZ. You're not old enough for the Miata. You actually are the target market for the Supra, my friend. Not old enough for the Miata. I, I'm gonna re re. I'm gonna appropriate that and say I'm not old enough for the Cayman Ooh. because that that's my goal. Yeah, that's the that actually. Yeah, that's a short list car for me, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is very yeah. good. Like Miatas are cool. I have nothing against Miatas, but long-term life goal. Uh, one of them is like get to be like fifty and have enough money to buy a Cayman and then never stop driving it. The chief mechanic at the Porsche dealership uh, when I uh, used to live in Utah was a guy that lived in my neighborhood, and he grabbed it. I was in the Boy Scout troop, and he grabbed a group of us and took us to the Porsche dealership. And the Porsche Boxer had just come out, and I was like. This is it. This is my future car. I'm, I am, I love you. Will you please marry me? And so, you know, I, the 911 as a kid was my dream car. Like, I was never a Ferrari guy. I was always like a Porsche 911 kid. And then you're right, man. There's something about that Cayman that is like, it's like the, the, like the Porsche Boxster and the 911. And you're like, now kiss. Yeah. It's just a yeah. great looking little car. So yeah, that's 911 is good too. I remember the first 911 I ever saw when I was like seven years old. And it was like the first time I was like, cars are cool. <laughs> I think we like, all remember that particular like, sexual awakening. Like, like, <laughs> <laughs> yep. You can remember where you were. Uh, like, yeah, I remember it was a green like <laughs> 70s Porsche 911. It had the like vent that would go. It wasn't a spoiler. It was like just the vent on like the sloping back that would like go up or down depending on how fast they were going. And I just remember like sitting in the car with my dad and looking at that thing and being like, huh, it never occurred to me that cars could be this awesome. I thought I knew my dad. And then he told me like when I was a kid that his like dream car. Uh, was this like ugly seven seventies like, gosh, I don't even remember what it was called like a nine nine seventeen or something like that or like what a weird not a nine seventeen gosh I don't even remember the, the it was like this weird two seater, ugly green Porsche that they made for like three years in the nineteen seventies <laughs> and it, I don't know it was the ugliest it looked like a um, Subaru Brat kind of oh, it was yeah. just a hideous little car and I was like Dad I, I thought I knew you. Not cool. Not cool. Not cool <sighs> so this has been Carboys. <sighs> Hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> we'll, we'll do this again sometime. Sometime when I get it when I get a new car in approximately two and a half years. Sweet. Yeah. Wait, what are you gonna get? Do you know yet? I I think I may be driving my last gasoline powered car. Oh, if I have anything to say about hoping, it, but yeah, I don't trust when the EVs have landed by then. Yeah, yeah, when I can buy a, a decent EV that's not made by like a mega megalomaniacal uh, billionaire nut job. Yeah, no offense if you're a huge also, fan of whatever. With like panel gap, let's be honest. <sighs> yeah, unacceptable build I'm quality. My micrometer Tesla. out. Oh yeah, this is some bullshit. I don't even need a micrometer. I could just use my kid's ruler and be like, I don't think two centimeters is an appropriate panel. Eyeballs gap. based on some of the videos I've seen. <laughs> we did go to the Tesla. When I was, when I was looking for cars, I'm like, God, a Tesla sounds so awesome. This is like a year and a half ago or two years ago. 
and we went to the Tesla dealership and all I did was sit in the car and pull the door closed and it, and you know that, you know, the, the sound of a, like a car door closing that you're like, Oh, that's, that's the sound I'm looking for. It goes, yeah. this yeah. goes, and I was like, this no. is the, this is their showroom model yeah. of a car that costs 75 or $80,000. I am out 100% out from here on out. Like you, you can't, you can't fuck that up. You can't screw up the the initial door closing experience in a car that's per, supposed to be perceived as a luxury car again if you own one mazel tov you know go get them it's great i you know i love i want an electric car audi's doing this e-tron shit that i think looks real nice yeah real nice there's that e-tron in uh in game I, yep, there were a couple it, of them. It, it looked dope as hell. Here's here's what I wanted. This is I don't believe this is a spoiler. There is a there are multiple shots, clearly like glamour shots of Audi e-trons in that movie. Nope, it's in spoiler territory. That that you're like this is both it's egregious and it's actually like violates the plot. Like the plot means this car should not be here. So you're like. <laughs> <laughs> who's doing this <laughs> i'm sorry so this is this is happening huh uh, so Listen, man that cgi is not gonna pay for itself that isn't very true there was <laughs> i just remember what like watching this movie and going oh my god the money that is being just burnt like when you <laughs> you look around a startup and you can kind of walk around the dev area and you're like oh this is like i know how much these people make this is fucking insane because all yeah. these people are just sitting here like talking shit, you know, for, for six hours a day, uh, burning VC capital. And I know how much that costs. That's crazy. This movie, you dial that up, like, you know, a uh-huh. couple orders of magnitude and yeah. you're, you're like, this is like 30 famous people <laughs> yep. just sitting here just and, and, and on screen at one time. And you're like, this is like, <laughs> there are so many celebrities. I, I'm just thinking in terms of like 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 act, actors guild fees and shit. Uh, just the amount of money that went into paychecks for ten seconds of this movie is probably in the millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It was and then it comes out though, and it's like I think has already become the biggest movie in history. Oh really? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I guess they didn't have to pay all the the CGI actors uh, that were nobodies in Titanic, so profits. Yeah, like yeah, even I think it's adjusted for inflation. It's like the biggest movie opening. Like this movie, like is Titanic for kids. Yeah, like this is the movie they're going to see over and over. I I want I want to see Isn't it that again. weird. I want to see it again. Yes, it, it was very good. Yeah, it was great. I loved it. Yeah, like huge huge payoff. Great. Highly recommend. If people haven't seen it, oh my god, Marvel movies. Yeah, super good. Yep. This is this is my this is among my favorites. Okay, so today we want to talk about something. If we haven't lost everybody with our baloney car talk, no. Uh, listen, if you don't like listening, if you don't want to debate the value and merits of open versus limited slip differentials, then I just don't want to know you. I uh, I actually do want to know you. It's fine. I'm just kidding. Please, Hang out with please me. Continue listening. Chris. Yeah. So yeah, I want I want to talk about uh, an email I got today, because on, on the surface it actually seems like the, I, I wanted to peel this apart, not in like excruciating detail, but I got an email today from a recruiter that found me out of nowhere, and the first half of the email is like, wow, this person really did their homework on me. 
So they're going through my experience, talking about what it likely means and talking about why it would be a good fit at their company. And I'm like, I love shit like that. That's like baller recruiting move. And then the, the, but I mean, that was after talking, bragging on their company, right? Oh, Mm -hmm. our company is amazing. We're doing, I guess you could say we're doing pretty good. We've raised a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, this, this person, like, so they did all this homework. And at the end, they say, they say literally the phrase, some days you'll wonder what you've gotten yourself into. And there will never be a time when the respect you get isn't a hundred percent earned. And, oh yeah. And the stock when we IPO won't in three to four years, won't be too bad. Wink. So I hate that. There's a flag on the play. (laughs) I hate that so much. There's, there's like flag, flag, flag. What's the, what was the middle one? The respect of something 100% earned. What is that? What did I say? There will never be a time when the respect you get isn't 100% earned. What does that mean? Like, Like who, who is that? Who is that a benefit for? Who's trying? Like, is it, is it like implying that some of the respect you get now is not earned? Like, yeah, is, or, is or the that no is, one will respect you unless you earn it. And what percentage is not earned in in other situations? Like seventy three percent. I'm so uh, sick of working at jobs where my respect is only seventy three percent earned. Yeah, that's weird. I don't, I don't yeah. know what that means. It's like a very confusing sentence. Yeah. Well, it, what it is is it's somebody like it writing and skywriting. Prepare for startup bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, the 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 value of the stock when we IPO in three to four years, it's just like, you know what? I get it. Like, stock options, their thing. Sometimes they pay off, but stop fucking acting like it's just your thing because it's just not. It's embarrassing to the intelligence of all the people who work for you. Yeah, and and um, this sort of like blatant. I don't know what to call it. This sort of like, it's not optimism. It's sort of like uh, delusion almost where it's like, uh, oh yeah. And inevitably this is, you know, this is going to be, I guess they, what, what is this called where they basically are presuming that you're already super bought in. There's gotta be like a German word for that, but like th- there's this, this deep presumption that you're already like in the boat with them. And I guess if that works on you, you're their target. Yeah, that's true. That like That's Nigerian Nigerian scams or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, we yeah, have to yeah. work on who it works on. Yeah. Like how the typos are are to explain in case anyone's not familiar with this, one of the like really illuminating things that came out about the whole Nigerian Prince email scam was that they are written very poorly with a lot of typos and stuff, which which up until that point had been like a joke about it. And someone finally like either announced or whatever that that was all on purpose because it was meant to filter out everyone who already wouldn't fall for this scam and only catch like the dumbest, most gullible people who wouldn't either either would willingly look past all of the typos or not realize they were there in the first place. So this recruiter tactic of being like, OK, I'm going to pair flattery with self flattery. Mm-hmm. Uh, we flatter ourselves to think that we're, be- you know, we're the best. And we flatter you to think that you're one of the best. And you're like, yeah, if you're not, if that's not throwing like flags for you, then you probably are missing some key experiences in your career that this will definitely give to you. Yeah. There's a point where it's like, who does this work on the, like the stock thing at this point, 
it, it worked on me when I was in my mid twenties. So I would say yeah, twenty three I mean, year olds, twenty five year olds. It worked on it worked on lots of people. Yeah. It worked on me at some point. But but like the recruiter is talking to someone to you to to someone about like she's not talking to you for a, a junior developer role. Yeah. Uh, you know, like by 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 definition, given like the role that, that has already been mentioned, you are not the person who is going to fall for like the stock option thing. And and at this point, so, like most people know that like what's actually happening is that they're saying, look, you know, we are we are trying to stretch a budget well beyond like the point of reason yeah uh and we got a lot of neon signs to buy uh and a Ooh, lot of just like sick burn dumb bro. dumb startup bullshit <laughs> that we have to buy <laughs> but like we can't pay you more but these options i tell you these options are are they really offset the money that you're not making here that we instead spent on like fucking hot dog carts or something and billboards yeah, I will gladly pay you Tuesday for a web application today. <laughs> exactly, and it's like at some point it's like, look, if you would just come out and say that this is this is the trade off that we're making, and just say take it or leave it, I would really respect you a lot more than having to sit through like yet another speech about how this is actually really good for me because I'm not fucking stupid. Neither yep. are most of the people who work for you. Yep. Yeah, like at this stage of my career, your job is to lay the facts as they are and allow me to sort of like pick through them and ask questions and uh, a determined fit. So and that's actually what I wanted to talk about is is this idea that recruiters are there to sell a company and close a high pressure sale like really, really um, that's the part I allow myself to get bothered about recruiters. The thing I push back on and have for about eight years when I started seeing developers pile on to recruiting pitches in like message boards and stuff was, hey, this is a person that's trying to do their job and you're in a pretty privileged position where they're coming after you. And all of that is true. And it can also be true that these are people who are not demonstrating skill at their work and treating you like you're stupid as a part of it and demanding, in many cases, your attention for nothing. In, and in large enough numbers that it becomes irritating and distracting and frustrating uh, to have to kind of like constantly be badgered by people that aren't even doing the basic homework to know. So you did homework and figured out what I've done for a living for a while and said, hey, that's a really good fit for us. But you didn't do enough homework to figure out this is not how you approach somebody like me. Like this is like, so you went from doing something that's kind of pro-like to something totally amateur hour. And the majority of the time it's super amateur hour. These are people that during the, you know, the mortgage boom before the mortgage crisis were like, you know, faking documents to, so, and, and making $300,000 a year, signing people up to buy houses that couldn't afford houses. Uh, they just, they're like, they weren't skilled, but super ambitious. And right now that is in tech recruiting that like boom is tech recruiting. So it's, it's, you know, as a, and so I'm kind of, it's nuanced because I'm of two minds about it. These are people trying to do a job uh, and I want to crap on them for that. But so many of them do it so poorly in my email inbox that it, like it's an irritant. So I, I don't know, I don't know how to like kind of pick those apart. Yeah, there is, there is definitely a difference between a recruiting message that you know is just one of of 20 in a stack that you are going to get that 
is 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 not gonna really like they're first off there are really good recruiting messages too like there are very good recruiters out there but you know they're they're often hunting for very specialized roles or skill sets or something there's this middle huge middle area where it's just like these are fine you know this is a person doing their job it is annoying when you get 30 of them and like none of them seem like promising leads or whatever but it's kind of like funny annoying it's not like i don't know there's nothing wrong with it yeah but then there are those emails where it's like holy shit you didn't even fill out the template right like yeah there's 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 still like you know parts of the form that were like labeling what's supposed to go in this field are like characters from that are still in here and you like misspelled my name and it's like dear chris but the i and the r are swapped i really appreciated your work on a thing i never worked on (laughs) and also this other thing which is not like a software project it's like you know i don't know some random like thing that i'd never that isn't like a thing you would put in a recruiting message but it's just like i just picked up random terms from your linkedin and then like mad libbed them into this template that i filled out poorly and then sent it to you and that's where it's like why did i even like it's literal spam they like a lot of that stuff is straight up automated where they're like scraping information from your GitHub profile, scraping email addresses. Like I talked to a recruiter uh, at my last place. They're like, yeah, I'm very aware of that software. I worked in a place where that was used, where Mm -hmm. it goes through and scrapes email addresses out of like commit messages from GitHub and then uh, tries to mail merge it essentially with what they can find about you. And it's all like generated shit. And, you know, that's a pretty, there's, there's all these like weird bottom feedy practices. And I think I understand why engineers get really frustrated with that or uh, the, the humorous stuff of recruiters coming after uh, DHH to ask if he'd be interested in a job doing rails and, you know, Hey, for people that have enough years of experience doing rails, you might be qualified for this job. Like mm, yep. I'm, I might. Yep. I mean, so like the, the thing that gets me is like the, the DHH thing the DHH thing is funny. Like it, it is funny because it is it is an actually ironic scenario. It is not funny because the recruiter who sent an email to DHH is a moron. Right. Like it, it's not funny because that person deserves to be laughed at. It's funny because like, haha, circumstances. Yeah. Sometimes they can be funny. And I think the problem is that in a lot of cases, like that's that's really about the extent of how how funny recruiting stuff should be it's like you know it can be a little ironic but it often goes into no no no. we're gonna like belittle these recruiters yes and we're going to like make fun of them and rip them a new one and like treat them like shit every chance we get and i'm not saying that like all recruiters are angels but i feel like you also like you have to realize that most of the time Man, it's just a person trying to do a job. Yeah. And they are they are caught up in the shittier version of the same system that you're caught up in. That has resulted in you being like quite privileged, but having a lot of like shit that you have to deal with. They are they are dealing with all the same shit and they don't get nearly as many of the benefits. You know what it is though? Here's what I here's what is okay, so because I can see both sides of this too. Because I was trying to figure out like why why did this why did this go sideways? Like I used to run a meetup and I 
was looking for sponsors. And of course people, uh, recruiters were like, Oh, I'll sponsor a meetup. That's such a, you know, like such an easy way to make contacts and hand out my card. And they're really just, you know, they're hustling. So, and I learned after a while, I stopped doing business with recruiters to sponsor the meetup. I'd rather, it wasn't worth the hassle because they came on so strongly. They were trying to hand everybody their card and, you know, Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing right now? Like, what are you interested in? And like just coming on way too strong and, irritating the people at the meetup and it wasn't worth it. I was sacrificing the quality of the experience for people there so that I could, you know, buy some pizza like that just wasn't, that didn't make any sense. That exchange wasn't worth it. And I think the problem with recruiters is they're trying to productize you overtly where like Google at least does product productizes me through my data. These people are trying to turn me the person and my, my way of making a living into a, into a product and if you're going to do that, there's a minimum, there's a difference between a recruiter and like an agent. An agent does that. And that's a known contract thing. Like an agent is, is your agent. They're on your, they're acting on your behalf and a recruiter doesn't give a fuck about you. Like uh, unless they're extraordinary and there are extraordinary recruiters out there that are a little more like matchmakers or headhunters or, you know, even on bordering on agency. But for the most part, these people are just view you as an object. It's an immediate objectification where all where you, Chris, are not a person anymore. You are a potential, you know, multi tens of thousands of dollars transaction in my future. And I'm going to. And so that's why you see them like, like race and wind through conversations because you can tell they're trying to get somewhere. They're trying to make a sale. They're trying to close this instead of trying to find a match and trying to do something that is mutually beneficial. It is. It is the rawest and least humane form of a transaction that they're engaging in. And I think that's what makes recruiters so yucky to most people is you feel it. You feel that dehumanization happening while you're being, you know, robot. You have your data crunched and turned into a robot email trying to like fish you into a job. So I'm thinking about the the uh, like movie industry metaphor and realizing that like agent you know the recruiters and agents like isn't even an analog and i don't think that's what i don't think that's what you were saying but it made me realize like huh like an agent would be nice and that does exist and that's you know it is like a headhunter but in that comparison the recruiter then is much more like the incredibly disenfranchised person sitting in the casting call room that like, you know, that you've seen in like every movie where someone goes on an audition and there's just like this person there who just doesn't give a fuck and has to watch 300 people audition for the same, like, you know, two line part. Like that often is probably more in line with like what the recruiter is dealing with in terms of sheer volume and, and also like engagement with the actual role. Yeah, they, they, you're right. They're doing a volume business their close rate is real low. Like, mm. you know, uh, I probably, I probably place more people as an unpaid recruiter in jobs than the average recruiter in our industry does. Mm. And people wash out of that really quickly. And the people that stick around, you know, the people that stick around are the people that hustle for it. Yeah. And there are a minority of people, I would say probably top 5% that are relationship oriented, but that's just not how mm. recruiting agencies work. They churn, they churn through candidates, they churn through agents, you know, they just like burn people out and replace them. And Mm -hmm. that seems to be the model that works. And so I think it's the, 
it's like a mass dehumanization thing. And so you get, and, and what you, you said earlier, that's so potent about this is like, we get a little taste of being dehumanized by this, but imagine what that's like to be that person in that, Yeah, that all you have is the transaction is like yeah. you hit your numbers or you vapor, you're, you know, you vaporize. Yep. So, uh, that, you know, that person's life, you know, that, tr- that interaction sucks for you, the developer, that lifestyle sucks for the recruiter. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure most, most recruiters are paid on some kind of commission, which, you know, makes things even tougher, uh, and probably explains a lot of the scenarios where they're clearly just casting as wide a net as possible. But yeah, like if you step back and think about like, why is it that this is how recruiting is done? Why isn't it based on relationships? Why doesn't it involve, you know, kind of actually like going for quality over quantity? And I was, I've been thinking about this today since you, you initially suggested this topic and I kept giving this like image in my mind of, of like recruiters just like shoveling coal into like, like a locomotive engine, which is basically what they're doing with the people that they're recruiting because they, at least in the tech industry, like we've talked about this before, there's, there's not a culture of staying at a company for a long time. You know, like there, there are, there's like this one version of, of like being a developer in the tech industry where you feel all this privilege uh, and that has its own set of problems. But there's this other version where you are very much a fungible resource, uh, a fungible resource that is known to uh, have very low barriers to movement, meaning like you are you are a, a, a resource that can be traded back and forth and that also like has a very high likelihood of exiting at any point, which means that the the the, the project, the ordeal of staffing up and and retaining people is really like you're not retaining individuals a lot of the time even though there's all sorts of you know research to to talk about how like it costs so much to retrain people and there's so many drawbacks to all that stuff the the reality of it right now is that that just doesn't matter uh but that's not how it works people people come and go all the time so it's not that you're retaining individuals it's that you're retaining a certain level of employment like we have this many engineers on staff that 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 cast may rotate constantly, but we are measuring in throughput yeah. <laughs> and these recruiters, their job is to just keep shoving people into one end of the funnel so that we can like maintain a steady set of numbers. Even if the, the people who constitute that set of numbers is like changing every day. Hmm. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Because it's the companies that are like that are paying for this, right? The paychecks come from the companies. Yeah. So their interests are going to be represented. And the company's interest is not in the humanization and long-term success of these employees. It is throughput. And so you're right. It is the the recruiters are the like the least humane aspect. They're in the oh God, are we talking about capitalism again? Psych! <laughs> But they're they're in the they're in the part that is the most dehumanizing. It's the valley, right? It's the nadir at the bottom of 
this thing where you have executives that are like, oh, we preach this. We love, you know, we love people. We love our employees are our most valuable resource. And then you have employees on the other side going, hey, you know what? My life is all right. I do good work. And when I don't like it, I quit and go do something else because to me, it's the job that's fungible. And yeah. and everybody's like, oh, haha, this is great. But you have somebody shoveling the coal in the furnace. Mm-hmm. And uh, in in this industry, a lot of that is the recruiters. I suddenly have a lot more compassion for recruiters right now. I I think that is the correct takeaway. Uh, like they they are in a really rough spot, and it's it's also strange because for a recruiter to succeed, they need. It's I I feel like a recruiter is like man, like if you've ever gotten a call. Like you accidentally answered like one of those spam calls Mm -hmm. and you pick it up and it's obviously this like 22 year old fresh out of college kid who, you know, yeah, desperately needed a job. And they're like, sir, this is not a sales call. I'm just having an exciting offer for you. Yeah. And, and, And like, you know, you can tell they don't give a fuck. You can tell that they hate what they're doing. But at the same time, like, you know that they're doing this because they need a job. They need money. And part of the way that they make money is by presumably selling whatever it is that they're selling you or, or like, getting you to sign up or whatever the metric is. And it's like, oh, my God, like, I'm obviously not going to do this. But at the same time, I, I feel really bad for you because you are at some point on some level you are just trying to make ends meet yeah. and you are trying to do a thing that is impossible most days and you have to do it. Like it's not, you know, it's not like you're doing it for fun. You're doing it because this was, this was like the best option you could come up with. Now that said, there are recruiters I know who like seem to genuinely love it. Um, and they are the ones who are much more relationship based. Yes. Um, yeah, and that is the part that they love is they form these like relationships with the people that they, that they hire. Yeah. That's, that's pretty rare. I, like I said, it's probably top 5%, maybe, yeah. maybe less. Uh, have you ever had to do that? Have you ever had to do like cold call type work as a telemarketer or, um, anything like that? I have done cold call work as a volunteer for a political campaign and I've been on the other end. I worked at a call center, uh, and both of those. The political c- campaign wasn't as bad because it was like, you know, it's a political campaign. Yeah. But it is rough. It is extremely rough talking to strangers on the phone and trying to get anything out of them, whether that's like requesting something from them or just getting like basic human decency, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was not at a premium or which was absolutely at a premium uh, at the call center I worked for. Like it was, it was very hard to come by. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I I don't I don't reach back for that skill set very often as far as I think of consciously, but it definitely like changes you in some way. Like I did telemarketing in my uh in my early career um and it was horrible. Mm-hmm. And uh you know, I did the whole thing that Mormon kids do where you go knock doors for a couple of years and try to sell them mm-hmm. your religion, which is uh, different. <laughs> I don't want to say horrible, it's, but it was it's rough. It's like being a recruiter. It's, it actually is very it, much being a recruiter. So I, yeah, I spent two years as a recruiter. <laughs> <laughs> a recruiter for Jesus. Yep. I was not, I was not that successful. It turns out that job's really hard. And I just, uh, yeah, it, it gave me, uh, definitely a different perspective on 
what people are willing to put up with from strangers trying to get, <laughs> trying to get their time and attention. So, and, and the fact that, and, and these recruiters aren't generally independent. There are people that work for big firms that just burn through people. And, the, and it's the big firms that are like, Hey, do you want a job? And you're like, Oh, I could use a job. I just graduated from college with a poli sci degree and I'm unemployable. And I, you know, I need something. And they're like, yeah, yeah come do this. This is a way you can make money. And if you don't hit your numbers, it's not a way you can make money anymore. So, <laughs> yep. That's how I, I got that job. Oof. I like, I remember being, I remember being like thrilled almost to the point of tears when I got that call center job because it was 2008 and I graduated in a recession oh, and man. like I made, I made so, so little money, but I was like literally at home about to like finally give in and take my parents offer of letting me move back in with them when i got like the the voicemail that was like we would like to hire you at this company for you're like your salary would be this and it was like it sounded like a million dollars and it was actually so little money yes it was like barely above the poverty line yep yeah, I remember getting a salary offer for $20,000 a year and being like, wow, I've never seen that much money. Yep. Yeah. Mine and it turns out I was like, seven. <laughs> I was like, I'm making $20,000 a year, which sounds like a lot, but I don't understand why I have to budget down to the literal dollar and order kids' meals from restaurants I go to. <laughs> <laughs> it has 1000 right there in the amount. That sounds so big. I ate a lot of dinosaur shaped chicken nuggets. Oh jeez. Um, <laughs> so I want to I want to um talking about the recruiting thing. I want to I want to ask one other thing. Have you ever worked in a place where they pay you to be a recruiter for them by like uh offering like uh referral bonuses? Uh yeah, I have. Have you ever received one? Yeah, yes. I have. Do you think that's a good idea or not a good idea? I think that's a fucking great idea. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, Tell I me do. why. I have very strong opinions about this actually. Cuz I have very mixed opinions about this. I think, so I've heard, I think it's a great idea because it costs a shit ton of money to recruit people. Uh, I've like seen the numbers on like, like for us to, to like cold onboard people, it costs us this much in terms of, of like actually staffing the recruiter and all of the outreach shit that we have to do and all of the like getting them into the funnel stuff that we have to do. That cost us, on average, let's say, $12,000 a candidate. So to not offer a referral bonus, in my mind, is ludicrous. Yeah. Because fair. it's like, you're, you might give me two grand. You might give me $500. Like, I, I, sure, if I get $500 to refer a person that I like, like, sure, I'll take $500 for free. In a lot of places, it's way more than $500. Yeah, the, I, I've but seen it. But it's way less than $12,000 a candidate or yeah. whatever amount. Like I've seen that justification used for like why it is worthwhile to send your employees to conferences because the cost of sending them to a conference is vastly outweighed by the cost of, of recruiting even one person from that conference. So I think it's a great idea. I think it's ridiculous not to offer them. However, I have also heard the argument that, oh, well, the reason that we don't offer referral bonuses is because we don't want people to refer others just for the money uh we don't want them to just like shove people into the funnel so that in the hope that one of them gets hired 
and they get a referral bonus out of it. To uh, and and to that, I say like take a just take a step back and take a long look at the integrity <laughs> of your company and your hiring process because what you just said tells me that you think like your entire staff is full of nothing but like money grubbing morons. <laughs> And you don't trust your hiring process to filter out bad candidates at all. You have no faith in your future or current employee employees. Oh, okay, you just fucking convinced me. <laughs> you got me. Because uh, that was my thinking is like, I, I, but I flipped it where it's like, I want the reason that I'm recruiting somebody to be untainted and so much about, hey, I like working here. This is a kind of place I want to bring my friends. But it turns out recruiting bonus or no recruiting bonus, I'm going to do that exactly the same way. I'm the kind of person that's going to do tr to treat that exactly the same way. Uh, it just so happens that I generated a ton of value for the company that I don't get to claim any of it. And so when the company goes, hey, do the thing you're going to do anyway, but we're going to help you reclaim some of, some portion of that value back uh, just in, in the name of like fairness, like that mm -hmm. does feel right. This is actually a case... At I you know it only just dawned on me, but this is a case of a thing that we've talked about a lot. Where th this is actually like another missionary, not mercenary scenario, right? This is another case where it's a company or the the industry is very, very sneakily trying to get you to to forget that you are in a transactional relationship and do something because it is it is like right or it is or because it like feels good or because it fulfills some sense of purpose or something like it's it's a company like that that was like the thing that finally made me realize it's bullshit is when i heard we're not gonna give you money and the reason for that is like purity of referral is this this vague kind of moralistic sounding yeah. thing and it's like, uh, nope, I don't, I don't think that's how that works. Like the second that you say like you, like, uh, this for-profit business is not going to pay you money because it just, it would just taint the relationship a little bit. If, if we, if we just cheapened it like that. Yes. It's like, no, uh, that, that's absolutely the nature of our relationship. <laughs> you know what? That's an extremely good point. And, it, um, and there's something in this that, I do, it's not a fully formed thought yet, but anytime you hear your business cloak itself in the robes of self-righteousness around about something, you know, they're full of shit. So like you said, I don't want to cheapen the the referral process by tying money to it. Like it also happens to n let us not have to let go of some money. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, mush together. I don't want to bring business into this. You're like, my dude, this is a business. <laughs> this is, and, and it's like, and it's, it is lying about the fact that at the bottom of it, when the, the reduction of this is a transaction and that, and, and you want that to be good for everybody. And, and if you can keep that, like, that's what a professional relationship is. Uh, there, there's just so much there that, that answers so many of the questions that people find these like moral quandaries in business around. It comes down to somebody is trying to sneak relationships and morality uh, back into what is fundamentally a, a transaction at the end of the day. I don't want to cheapen our recruiting process. Damn it. You got me. <laughs> wow. 
I hope that you'll institute referral bonuses at every company you work at from now on. Yeah. I, you know what? I will say this, like the quality of candidates where I've seen high referral bonuses uh, is not worse than the quality of candidates I've yeah. seen at places with, with no referral bonus. So fundamentally. Because, because like who, who, like think about the level of coordination that it would take. Like a, the, the level of just like, craven selfishness that it would take for the employee to just go like, look, I think this person is a moron. <laughs> They're going to fail horribly at this job, but I'm going to go ahead and refer them anyway. And I'm going to coach them to get them through this interview process so I can get that referral bonus. And then like, and then I have to live with them. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, you know, damage to my reputation. Screw it. I'll live with it. It was totally worth that. Like $5,000 referral bonus. That's absolutely how I measure this in my head. Like, th- th- there is probably someone who does that. I I feel like it's so the number of people who do that is staggeringly small. Yeah. And quite frankly, those people work at your company, whether or not you have a referral bonus. Yeah. And if it's not the referral bonus that they're doing, they are doing something shitty in some other way. I guarantee you. Yeah, I mean, and and there are other like subtle things about it, like uh, making sure your friends know, like, hey, I'm not just referring you for the bonus, like. Uh, I'm not trying to like lure you into a thing that like I, I had all those reasons that I was sort of like, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of mixed about it, but now I'm, I get it. Like uh, there, like actually there's probably the upper bound on what a bonus would have to be to actually, to actually <laughs> exactly. fuck this up is way higher than people think it is. Yeah. They would have to pay you like there is, there's absolutely, I'll just, I'll just state it on the record. There is absolutely a number, a referral bonus number. That if you hit it, I will for sure try and see someone past you. But that number is so much higher than you would ever allow. Yeah. I would be like, you know, oh, if if you can get someone past our interview process, you will get several years worth of salary. I, I was going like, to say, sure, wow, you're yeah. way more expensive than me. I was going to say like six months. <laughs> six no, months? Man. That's long enough to find a new job. <laughs> 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 yeah, if it was like you won't have to work for minimum two years if you can get someone past this process, I'd be like, "Well, you know what? Challenge accepted." <laughs> I think it's got to be enough that I don't have to work for a year after splitting the fee with the person that I cheated it with. <laughs> that is a far better gamble than stock options. Let's just let's just say that to take it back to the beginning of the episode. <laughs> Well, when you, I don't know. So yeah, that was my response to this. And I don't know what, I don't know what to say to this recruiter because they clearly put a bunch of effort into it. But like, uh, my response is like, oh man, here's, here's my, here's my plan for you. Keep all of those stock options and you guys go be millionaires and I'll be kicking myself. Uh, because I just took a bunch of money off the table up front in terms of, in the form of a salary. I know that logic. I think, I think one of the things that I think a mistake that we often make when dealing with that kind of recruiter is to let that feeling like go farther than the initial reaction. Because the actual the actual fact of the matter is that 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 email that you got sent even though it is it is you know not a terrible grammatically incorrect almost Nigerian prince email scam quality recruiting email that is very, very much still a template of some kind. Right. This person this person probably sent 15 of those today. Yeah. 
And so, like, you have this feeling of just, like, oh, man, I just want to, like, tell you what is so wrong about this email and something. And, like, the, the actual answer is if you just wrote back and said no thanks, they would immediately forget that you existed and move on. Yeah. And both of you will be better off. Because they're not going to – they don't care what you say. Like, they're not going to be like, oh, man, you're right. I see the error of my ways. I will stop mentioning stock options. Uh, in the future because like the recruiter is not the one who is sitting there going like okay our comp structure is such that our base pay is utter shit yeah but we make up for it by hiring people like you to convince like unassuming 20 year olds that these stock options are worth actual money and it totally offsets the shitty base salary that we're gonna pay them yeah and if and if you're like delusional enough to think that you're gonna somehow educate this person out of you know, out of their job, their job that they get paid to do, then you might be me. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it comes from a place of like a, a kind of pissed off, but also kind of wanting to be like, like you said, you probably have a higher hit rate than a lot of recruiters. So you actually probably do have advice. Like you are a person who has worked as a developer for a long time, has, hired a lot of people as a manager and has helped other people find jobs you actually do have a lot of valuable advice for recruiters who want to hire people and find people based on relationships the problem is a lot of the recruiters they're just like cool story bro yeah i'm not here to make friends I'm yes on fucking sur- like recruiter survivor island and and the ones that aren't like that don't need my advice anyway yeah They've gotten to this point because they are as good or better at it than you are. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, you don't want to cast your pearls before swine. And then you look around and you're like, well, all the people that, that needed pearls have pearls. Maybe I'll just hang on to these. (laughs) Well, shit. Yeah. All right. I guess I wanted to cast them somewhere. Nope. (laughs) Yeah. Brandon, maybe, maybe your job isn't casting pearls anywhere. You just, just hang on to that. If there are people, though, that are like, hey, part of my job is recruiting and I don't know how to do it, that might be a fun episode. How to do that, like, specifically uh, How to better. effectively recruit. Yeah, how to do that better. Because, like, but maybe that's mm-hmm. not this podcast. Maybe it's a different one. But it, it's like if, if you find yourself where, you know, that's part of your, your job and you want to do it better, I like advising people on that kind of stuff. But very few people actually need it. I mean, lots of people need it, but very few people that need it uh, want to ask for it. So, yeah. And everybody else, like, be just just enjoy being a software engineer and and enjoy getting those sloppy recruiter emails for companies you would never actually want to work for. Don't fall for them. Uh, if you need, if you need, uh, I hereby volunteer my services to read your most hilarious recruiter pitches. If you want to send them to <laughs> us at Copy Paste Pot on Twitter, uh, I like I they, like we could still point and laugh. That's fun. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. There's nothing wrong with having a feeling of moral superiority. Wait, <laughs> don't, don't answer that. Uh, but f- yeah, let me, let me enjoy my laughing at bad, badly executed emails. I have, my, I have no, I have no response. Yeah. I do have a response. But I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I'll, I'll take my, qu- my answer off the air, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I feel like that's probably as good a place to end, end on as any think so yeah well for everybody listening first off i'm sorry again for the the car talk uh if you want to hear more about don't apologize if you want to hear more about uh zf transmissions check out our spinoff podcast which is yet to be named car boys car boys exists already i think that's that's a thing horsey 
horsey talk, but it'll actually be about cars. Nope. I hate that. I hate that so much. <laughs> it's a, a fan podcast about horsey sauce from Arby's. Nope. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, if you, if you like this podcast, please share it. Uh, and we love to hear your feedback at our Twitter at copy paste pod. I am to Viking on Twitter. I am 15 letter max. And we will see you all next week. Bye everyone.